Welcome to The Socialist Program. This is the audio of our monthly seminar. Subscribe and support this programming at patreon.com slash the socialist program to join live once a month and ask Brian Becker your questions and listen to them as soon as they come out. Thanks so much for your help in keeping this independent show going. We can make this program with you, but not without you. So just a word or two about Cuba. I'm happy that we were able to turn, as we have on other occasions, and focused on an event that was unfolding right in front of us in the last two weeks, ever since the, the July 11th protests took place in Cuba. Since that time, there have been massive demonstrations in support of the revolution. No one minimizes the real challenges and struggles that ordinary Cubans are facing. The shortages are so profound compared to even two or three years ago, partly because of COVID, but in addition to COVID, which meant the loss of most of the tourist dollars, the U.S. has so tightened the blockade that Trump's additional 243 coercive measures that Biden so far hasn't lifted, and most importantly, the remittances that come from Cuban families outside of Cuba that provide Cubans with dollars, you can't really overstate how people are suffering. The Cuban revolution suffered a great deal after the loss of the socialist bloc countries and the Soviet Union. So suddenly they had no aid, they had no trade, their entire industry and infrastructure was based on equipment and materials coming from other socialist countries. All of that dried up overnight. There was a a 40% contraction in the Cuban economy in 1992. Uh, That was the special period. But this special period is almost as bad or in some ways as bad as what happened in the early 1990s. What's remarkable, I think, is that the Cuban Revolution, in spite of these very difficult times, has done something that I think is sort of a model for uh, ruling communist or socialist parties, which is that they've been very communicative with the population. Uh, To the extent possible, they've tried to level with people. They've tried to explain the origin and the genesis of the problem. And to be a member of the Cuban Communist Party, your neighbors have to say you are a dedicated, active, sacrificing person who's connected to your co-workers or your neighborhood, it's not easy to get in the Communist Party. I mean, the masses of people who are not communists help select the people who come into the party. And that's the organic connection in a real way between the party leadership at the national level and at the provincial and local level and even micro-local level. Anyway, we're glad that we've been able to talk about Cuba the way we have. We're also organizing on Saturday, July 25th, we're going to be, Nicole and myself in Washington, we're going to be helping to welcome the Cuban-Americans who are coming from Miami, who are walking 1,300 miles to tell Biden to lift these 243 Trump measures. And, you know, the right wing is very emboldened right now. They feel they felt at least, I don't know about now, because the, the momentum has shifted once again. But they had a lot of 
empowerment. And so there's been a lot of right-wing Cuban activity. Proud Boys have been playing a huge role for the last two years in right-wing Cuban protests in Miami. So we're going to be welcoming these Cuban-Americans who are walking from Miami. And, you know, people are coming from different parts of the East Coast. And of course, you know, we're concerned that we have to have a well-protected, well-defended, secure event. So in addition to the show and talking about Cuba, we're activists, we're organizers, we're in the streets, we're in our communities. And of course, we think the show has been helpful because it's helped, you know, contradict and combat the sort of nonstop propaganda that's organized by the government, by the media. And our show Tuesday was focused on, as you all know, on how and how important it is that the CIA, a big part of its covert operations, actually manipulates the media. So we had this show titled How the CIA Manipulates the Media. And when we put it out, we couldn't post it on Twitter. And we were like, what happened? And Twitter wouldn't explain to us why we were locked out of our account. That was Tuesday morning. So we spent all day sort of making appeals to Twitter, protesting. We were trying to figure out what do we do? Should we start a public petition campaign? And then at the end of the day, they announced that they were unlocking the account and they apologized to us and said, we flagged your Twitter handle as spam because of suspicious behavior with automated accounts, automated conduct, automated behavior. And, you know, we put together a letter to Twitter was like, please explain exactly why and how this happened, because we've never automated one intervention on Twitter. We have no automated activity whatsoever. Everything we do, we do physically, manually, so to speak. We don't know. But anyway, it was a good news that it became unlocked. I want to open the floor and I want to ask the people on the call a couple of questions. One is we've been doing this series on China with Ken Hammond. Are people listening to it? What do you think of it? We have a, the sixth of the seven parts coming out tomorrow. And the seventh part is coming soon. And we've just made an arrangement with some academics in Canada so that the seven part series is going to also be made into a book with attached associated reference documents to all the things that Ken and I talked about during these seven decades of Chinese foreign policy. So we're very excited about that. It'll be kind of a, an additional resource. But we'd like to ask you if there's other programming that you are interested in looking forward to. We can't make any promises, but we would like to hear people's opinion. We're thinking about doing a series, a three or four part series on the Supreme Court. Eugene Debs famously ran for president in 1912 on, well, two of his platforms were to abolish the Supreme Court and to abolish the U.S. Senate. At that time, you know, it was only in 1912 that Americans got the right to vote for direct votes for the senators. Uh, The Senate was always the House of Lords to make sure in the government checks and balances that they would check anything progressive from ever happening. 
So Debs called for the abolition of the Senate and the Supreme Court. And we are very much for the abolition of the Supreme Court. And we'd like to do a series about the Supreme Court. And it's really extremely racist, sexist, reactionary character since the birth of the United States. And, you know, we want to put it into perspective because as a socialist program, we're trying to, you know, we're calling for systematic, radical and revolutionary change in the United States instead of a situation where you have nine unelected lawyers who have lifetime appointments deciding by small margins whether, for instance, women have the right to control their own bodies or whether gay and lesbian and bi and trans couples have the right to marry and you name it, just go down the road. Instead of having nine unelected lawyers, rich lawyers making these kind of decisions, and instead of a situation where, you know, people are now all anxious because Breyer is like Ginsburg so far not retiring. And so if Ginsburg didn't retire, which she didn't want to do for personal reasons, or Breyer, you know, then the the danger that some super semi-fascistic person can come in with a lifetime appointment and tell people what their rights are. And instead of like thinking, oh, we have to vote for the Democrats because otherwise who's going to control the next selection of these unelected lawyers who will determine our destiny? Like get rid of the Supreme Court. It's an anti-democratic institution. So anyway, we want to do a series on that. And finally, I'm anxious to do a series on the rise of the Soviet Union, the Russian Revolution, its impact on the 20th century, and then what were the circumstances and conditions and politics that led to the demise and final overthrow of the Soviet government. I think for Marxists and for socialists, having an understanding of that is absolutely necessary because Whenever you argue for socialism, people will say, well, look what happened to the Soviet Union. It was a great dream, but didn't it turn out to be just a big, gray, totalitarian nightmare? And of course, that's not true. But the fact that the Soviet Union collapsed and there wasn't even a big struggle, I mean, it imploded had this demoralizing impact on socialists and socialism. And even the capitalists thought, well, it's the end of history. You know, society changed before. It went through, you know, primary stages of production and then the system based on slavery and then the system based on serfdom and feudalism and finally capitalism and the wage or so-called free labor system. And then there was this effort to have something new, socialism, and you tried it and it doesn't work. Like that's going to be the routine, like propaganda comeback by the apologists of capitalism. So I really want to do a series on the Soviet Union, but we'd like to get people's input on how you're liking the show on these series and some ideas of your own. That's all for this preview. If you'd like access to the rest of this seminar and our entire archive of exclusive seminars with Brian Becker, become a patron at patreon.com slash the socialist program. We are an independent show and we cannot make this programming without you. Thanks so much for your support. 